Welcome. We hope you enjoy this recording from Christ City Church, based in Dublin, Ireland. For more podcasts and information on the church, please visit ChristCityChurch.ie. Thank you for listening. So the reading is Matthew chapter 8, uh, verses 18 to 27. It's the cost of following Jesus. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another disciple said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Then he got into a boat and his disciples followed him. Suddenly a furious storm came up, came up on the lake, so the waves swept over the boat, but Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. He replied, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of a man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. So I'll just pray for Steve and us as we're about to hear the talk. Um, Yeah, dear God, I thank you that you are here, and your presence is here, and you are near to us, whether we feel it or not. Um, I just pray for Steve as he comes to talk to us now. Um, would it not be his words he speaks, but your words? Um, and would you give us um, ears to hear um, and just let our hearts really hear what you're saying to us today. In your name, amen. Amen. Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, do uh, be thinking about questions that come out through the talk and then afterwards, and then you have the Slido uh, to put the questions in and there'll be a chance for Q&A afterwards. And it is a great series to invite friends and family who have questions about the Christian faith. We're putting on this series to bless you guys, but also with your friends and family in mind. So do consider the future topics. This is week two of Encounters with Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew. We're trying to do two things in this series. Firstly, we're saying, what would it be like for us to encounter Jesus afresh as those early men and women did in the first century by considering how they encountered him? And the second thing we're looking to do is, as we encounter Jesus, can we discover answers to the biggest questions that our world has today? Last week, we looked at the encounter with the devil And we looked at the question of identity. Who am I? This week we look at Jesus' encounter with a storm. And we look at the question of suffering. Where is God in the storm? In Matthew chapter 8, the disciples encounter something outside of their control that makes them fearful. And that is the definition of a storm. Something outside of your control that comes into your life and fills you with fear. It could be health storms. It could be a life-changing accident or injury storm. It could be financial storms. It could be housing storms. It could be relational storms. It could be a family storm. Something outside of your control has come into your family and it's tearing you apart. It could be the suffering of baby loss and bereavement storm. It could be the suffering of being bullied or abused or knowing someone you love going through that. It could be your parents divorcing. It could be a storm relating to your identity and sexuality. Things outside of your control come into your life and fill you with fear. Chaos and panic ensues. Uncertainty and sleeplessness, paralyzing anxiety. It's a storm. Some of you are in a storm right now. 
and we all know for sure we're going to face them. It's part of life, that things outside of our control will come into our lives and fill us with fear. So question, where is God in the storm? The passage gives us three answers. He's not where you think he'll be, but he's there to do you good. He's not where you think he'll be, but he's there to do you good. Or I could put it this way, he's leading you in, he's making you great, he's bringing you out. By the way, it seems appropriate to discuss where is God in the storm after Storm Agnes. I was preparing this, so we have a live in an upside down house, so I live upstairs. I was preparing this as the wind and the waves, uh, not the waves, uh, the rain pounded on my roof. <clears throat> so uh, where is God in the storm? He's not where you think he'll be. The day so far in Matthew chapter 8 had gone really well for the disciples. We read in the chapter that after Jesus finished giving the Sermon on the Mount, that famous sermon in Matthew chapters 5 through 7, he comes down from the mountain and performs four astonishing miracles. In chapter 2, a man with leprosy is healed with just a touch and just a word. In 13, a centurion servant is healed with just a word. And Jesus isn't even in the location of the servant. In, in verse 15, Peter's mother-in-law is healed with a, of a fever with just a touch. And then in verse 16, we read these words. When evening came, though many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all who were ill. I mean, what a day it had been for the disciples up to this moment. Miracles, freedom, power, joy, wonder, exhilaration. Following Jesus was all right, isn't it? If everything goes like this, I mean, who wouldn't want to join the band of merry men following Jesus? Everything seemed to go right that was wrong. Everything sad seemed to become untrue. And that's what the four miracle stories are in Matthew chapter 8. They tell us that Jesus is a man of unrivaled, enormous power. He has power over sickness. He has power over demons. In chapter 9, he has power over death with just a word. He's unrivaled. With just a word, with just a touch, the demons, the sickness, and the death, they flee. No wonder the crowds in Matthew 8 are starting to gather and, and swarm around him. But then Jesus disrupts any naive view of what it means to follow him. If the disciples and the growing crowds thought following Jesus I mean, he's just going to make my life a little bit easier, a bit cozier, a bit simpler, and a bit more comfortable. They were wrong. Because before the storm we read, in Matthew 8, 18 to 22, when Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to, the, to cross to the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law came to him, full of enthusiasm, and said, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Hmm. Another eager disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Ouch. This isn't quite as fun as the miracles and the power and the extraordinary things that happen with just a word. We learn in the passage preceding the storm that to follow Jesus as a disciple means two things. Firstly, it means a life of vulnerability. Settling down into a nice home and nice Western South Dublin ideals of life 
is far from what Jesus promises any of us. Foxes have dens and birds have nests and the Son of Man, he has no place to lay his head. Vulnerability is what the Son of Man offers anyone who wants to follow him. Following Jesus doesn't mean safety in this world, it means a lack of safety in this world. Ouch. Oof. Where are the miracles? What happened to them? A life of vulnerability. Secondly, a change of first allegiance. Jesus has to come before our own father and mother, our siblings, our children, and even burying them. Not that Jesus is against loving our fathers and burying our fathers, but it's the word first in verse 21 that is key. Who comes first? Are you willing to follow Jesus if he's second and first let me go and tend to my family? If Jesus detects in our hearts that we love our family members more or first than him, well, he says elsewhere, we're not worthy to be his disciples. Ooh, ouch. So in the passage before the storm, we learn that Jesus is wanting to do something deeper than miracles and heal people. He wants to make disciples and mature disciples. Jesus isn't desperate for anyone to follow him. Jesus wants to teach people that there's a cost to discipleship. Discipleship needs to be regularly renegotiated and renewed by Jesus towards us because we import worldly expectations of what we think discipleship's going to be. And they need to be challenged all the time. And it's those two aspects of discipleship, vulnerability and first allegiance, that the disciples are going to feel very acutely when the storm hits. The storm brought them into radical vulnerability, Something outside of their control that revealed their deepest allegiance because fear came everywhere. And fear always shows what your first allegiance is too. Jesus wants courageous disciples. He doesn't want fearful disciples. And to make us those type of disciples, he must lead us into storms where our faith will be tested, refined, matured, and strengthened. Look again at verse 18 and 24. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Then he got into the boat and his disciples followed him. This is a lesson about discipleship. Why did the disciples end up in the storm? Because Jesus led them into it. Jesus gave the orders. Jesus got into the boat and the disciples followed. This is a story about discipleship. What does it mean for us to follow Jesus into the boat and into the storms of life that come if you're a disciple of Jesus? And any naive, over-triumphalistic view of following Jesus needs to be quelled just as much as the storm needs to be quelled. Jesus leads his people into storms. Why? To deepen your faith. To take often our weak, flabby, world worldly shaped faith and through the storm he strengthens it matures it disciplines it and refines it jesus wants to take our often self-centered comfort loving cowardly faith and test it and refine it so we can come forth as gold courageous in the face of storms and free in the storm we come to realize that we are very weak and he is very strong and that is where our courage lies One more point of application on this point to give us reassurance. It's a wonderful comfort to know God is leading us into the storms of life. Because if the storm was outside of God's control, 
If the storm was something that took God by surprise, if God is just a reactive agent to the storms of life that hit, well, firstly, he's not a very big God, and secondly, you have no guarantee he's going to get you out of that storm. But if God leads us into the storms, God can get us out of the storms through you and see you through the storms. He's big enough. He knows what he's doing, even if you can't understand it. So where is God in a storm? He's not where you think he'll be. Naive and small views of God don't work in a storm. A God that just answers to my beck and call and every need and desire and dream I have as, as a disciple, that's not Jesus of the Gospels. That's not the God of the New Testament or the whole Bible. This is a God of your own making. He is bigger than you can imagine. He has reasons for the storms that you can't understand and he's making you into something great and courageous through the storms of life. Where is God in the storm? He's not where you think he'll be, but he's there. And so he'll bring you out. Jesus is in the storm with the disciples. Jesus is in the boat with the disciples. He hadn't abandoned them. The problem was he was sleeping. Right here in verse 24, we see the humanity of Jesus. Tired from his ministry, all that healing, all the demon exercising had cost him so much as a human. It was draining. Power had gone out of him and he needed some sleep. He needed to recover because he is fully human. And this picture of Jesus sleeping in the storm and in the panic and fear the disciples go to, to him goes deep into our hearts because everyone who's lived a life of faith in this world has sometimes felt like this. Everything is going wrong. We're sinking. The waves are crashing over my life violently. And God, you seem like you're asleep. You're absent. You're unaware. Does Psalm 121 verse 4 tell us that God neither slumbers nor sleeps in his care for us? Well, it feels like you're sleeping in the storm I'm going through. So verse 25, the disciples went to him and woke him. Lord, save us. We're going to drown. You can hear the panic in the disciples' hearts. You'll have felt that panic in your heart when your storm hits, especially if you're used to being in control of life. And when the storm hits and you feel that panic coming into your heart, there's two responses humans make who don't trust Jesus. Panicked, frenzied activity or just burying your head and hoping it goes away. Not courageous faith. If you loved us, the disciples are saying, we wouldn't be sinking. If you loved us, Jesus, why are the waves crashing over my life with such violence? If you love me, Jesus, why is this deadly peril coming upon me? If you loved me, Lord, you wouldn't let my health and my finances and my relationships and bereavement and why are these storms coming? Wake up! Save me! I'm going to drown! I, I feel like I'm sinking and you're sleeping, God, and the waves are crashing and... The thing is, he did love them. It was because he loved them that he led them into the storm. The problem is, and was, they didn't know who he really was. And it took a storm for them to discover the Jesus they followed. Verse 26, he replied, You have little faith. Why are you so afraid? One Bible commentator translate that verse, why are you such cowards, little faiths? 
as if he's given them the title, Little Faiths. Their faith was little because as soon as the storm came, it wilted. And isn't that true for your faith and mine? Wow, we can feel so great after a weekend away. Oh, you come on a Sunday and you hear the, the saints singing and you feel so strong and, and you have a good time in life and job or, or university or friends. It's all just going, well, yeah, look, faith is great. And then a storm hits. How strong is your faith? The strength of our faith is surely revealed in the storms, not the calm. So whilst the story tells us that Jesus helps little faiths, he does not admire it. He wants to strengthen our faith. Yes, Jesus comes to our aid in his mercy and grace, even when we cry out as people of little faith. The story is a picture of grace, that God saves us even when we have weak little faith. But he also wants to strengthen your faith and make you courageous in your faith as a disciple of Jesus so you can face any storm as you know who he is. So how does the story end? Verse 26 and 27. He replied, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. See how the story ends? The disciples thought they knew who Jesus was and they didn't. They thought they could box him in. They thought he would fulfill every desire and dream and make everything okay. They had made Jesus after their own image. But as he calms the storm, what do you read, verse 27? The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. They're not even sure now what kind of man he is anymore because the wind and the waves obey him. One consensus point amongst ancient cultures was that the sea was uncontrollable by any power but God. In ancient cultures and legends, the sea was a symbol of unstoppable destruction. The ocean in full fury was ungovernable, inexorable power. It was a symbol of evil and pride and chaos. And so with the disciples to see, see in Jesus, in just a word, the storm is stilled. They discover unimaginable power is not in the sea, but in the one who can control the unimaginable power. Even the wind and the waves obey him. Remember, sickness obeyed and left with a word. Demons obeyed and left with a word. In chapter 9, death leaves with a word. Here, the wind and the waves are stilled with just a word. Jesus has power and authority over sickness, demons, death, and nature. He is the one that can bring all of these things to their knees in obedience. The proud waves can be halted. He can bring calm. Remind you of anyone? Genesis 1. With just a word, the stars were put into the sky. With just a word, light and darkness were separated. With just a word, the sea was filled with teeming creatures. With just a word, the birds were put in the... With just a word. In Matthew 8, creation recognizes its creator and bows the knee in surrender. Genesis 1, the eternal God of creation with 
Just a word brings order out of chaos and fills what is empty and brings stability, joy, rest, and harmony into every facet of the universe. So here Jesus says, I'm back. God is back to fix what is broken because of evil, sin, and pride. And one day I'm going to finish the job and I'm giving you a foretaste. I'm inaugurating my kingdom, which will one day be complete. This is God stepped down into our world in human form. If in the boat we initially see the humanity of Jesus as he has to sleep, by the end we see his full divinity, commanding the wind and the waves to be quiet. Psalm 107 says this, Some went out on the sea in ships. They were merchant on the mighty waters. They saw the works of the Lord, his wonderful deeds in the deep. For he spoke and stirred up a tempest that lifted high the waves. They mounted up to the heavens and went down to the depths. In their peril, their courage melted away. They reeled and staggered like drunkards. They were at their wit's end. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad when it grew calm and he guided them to their desired haven. Let them give thanks to who? The Lord, for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. Let them exalt him in the assembly of the people and praise him in the council of the elders. Our statement of faith at Christ City Church says, we believe in Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man, not half and half, not faking it on one side. He's fully God. The wind and the waves obey him, and he's fully man. He needs a sleep. It was the boat, it was the storm that the disciples discovered who God was for them in Christ. It took a storm for them to really know what kind of man Jesus is. And it's the same for you and me. Whatever kind of man you think he is, he's bigger, he's more powerful. He's more loving, he's more wise, he's more knowledgeable, he's more gracious, he's more terrifying than you could ever have imagined. And it will take a storm for you to start to discover a little bit more about him. So when we cannot get our heads around the storms that come into our life, that doesn't mean he's not there and he's not active and, it doesn't, and that he doesn't know what he's doing. If we were as big and as wise and as loving as Jesus, if we knew everything that Jesus knows, if we knew the end from the beginning, we would trust him in our storms. If we knew what kind of man he was, we wouldn't be afraid. Where is God in the storm? He's not where you think he'll be, but he's there to do you good. We've touched on this already. But notice one more thing. Do you notice there's two rebukes in the story? Jesus rebukes two things. We all know the second one. Then he got up and rebuked the wind and the waves and it was completely calm. But did you get the first rebuke? He replied, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Did Jesus say, I can understand how you feel? Did he say, oh, it must be tough, just hang in there. No, he said, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? He rebuked them for their lack of faith in him. 
You can imagine the disciples thinking, what does he mean why are we so afraid? We're afraid because we're going to drown. We're afraid because we thought you don't love us. We thought that you were just going to let us die. But Jesus' question to them has this thought. Your premise is wrong. You should have known better. I do allow people I love to go through storms. You have no reason to panic in this storm. Tim Keller in his book, King's Cross, puts it like this. The storm had immense power. They couldn't control it. But Jesus had infinitely more power. So they had even less control over him. But there's a huge difference. A storm doesn't love you. Nature is going to wear you down and destroy you. If you live a long time, eventually your body will give out and you'll die. And maybe it will happen sooner through an earthquake, a fire, or some other disaster. Nature is violent and overwhelming. It's unmanageable power. And sooner or later, it's going to get you. You may say that's true, but if I go to Jesus, he's not under my control either. He lets things happen that I don't understand. He doesn't do things according to my plan or in a way that makes sense to me. But if Jesus is God, then he's got to be great enough to have reasons to let you go through things you can't understand. His power is unbounded, but so are his wisdom and love. Nature is indifferent to you, but Jesus is filled with untamable love for you. If the disciples had really known that Jesus loved them, if they'd really understood that he is both powerful and loving, they would not have been scared. Their premise that if Jesus loved them, they wouldn't, he wouldn't let bad things happen to them was wrong. He can love somebody and still let bad things happen to them because he is God, because he knows better than you. If you have a God great enough and powerful enough to be mad at because he doesn't stop your suffering, you also have a God who is great enough and powerful enough to have reasons that you can't understand. You can't have it both ways. Elizabeth Elliot put it beautifully in two sentences. God is God, and since he is God, he is worthy of my worship and my service. I'll find rest nowhere else but in his will. And that will is necessarily, infinitely, immeasurably, unspeakably beyond my largest notions of what he is up to. And it's only when you surrender to that will, to the sovereignty of God in your life through all the storms, it's only when you give in and say, God, I don't get it, but I trust you. I'm going to stop fighting. And he allow, you allow him to take you deeper through radical vulnerability and you allow him to test what is first allegiance in your heart through the storm because your fears are revealed. And what you fear reveals your first allegiance. As you surrender to him in the storm, you will become something greater than you ever thought was possible. Remember the story before. The man who couldn't put Jesus first when storms hit, find out what is first in their lives. If it's our health, our family, or burying our family, our career, our fitness, our finances, our plans, our university degrees, whatever comes first. So often Christian discipleship is skin deep. I'll follow you, Jesus, if X, Y, Z is going well. But if X, Y, Z is not going well, I'll drift away from you, Jesus. But really that reveals that X, Y, Z was your God and Jesus was a means to an end to serve the God that you really love. And so he takes us through storms to bring us deeper, deeper in our understanding with him, deeper in our discipleship. C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Problem of Pain, when talking about pain and suffering, said, the human spirit will not even begin to try and surrender self-will 
as long as all seems to be well with it. Error and sin both have this property, that the deeper they are, the less their victim suspects their existence. They are masked evil. Pain is unmasked, unmistakable evil. Every person knows that something is wrong when he or she is being hurt. We can rest contentedly in our sins, but pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. God gets our attention where the storms of life hit and we can't control it and we need to cry out for a power greater than our storm and only Jesus is that person. And he has to, and he has to because he's preparing every one of us for the greatest storm that's going to come upon us all, the storm of death. The disciples are scared because they think they're going to die. And Jesus wants to free them from the power of death, and he wants to free you from the power and fear of death. The disciples are so scared in the boat because they think they're going to die, and some of you are still scared of death because you don't know what kind of man Jesus is. And he wants to free you from the fear of death by coming to know him, the resurrection and the life, you would beat death and rise again. Death is an evil intruder into God's perfect world. It's a result of sin, and its power has great power to separate us from our loved ones, but most importantly, it has power to separate us eternally from God. And so before that storm comes, and that storm is coming, and death will come knocking on our door, Jesus wants to prepare us for it. He wants us to free us from the fear of death. And isn't that what happened? Remember? These fearful Little faith, cowardly disciples, what did they become? What did they become? Some of the most courageous men that ever walked this earth, dying the most cruel deaths with poise and confidence because they'd come to understand what kind of man their Jesus was. They were tortured, they were thrown to lions, they were humiliated, they were ostracized, they were aliens and strangers. They did not shrink back from dying and faithfully testified to their Lord because they'd understood what kind of man, the God-man, that he was. In the decades that followed Jesus' ascension, the disciples went on to change the course of history through their bravery and their faith and their life of vulnerability. They became greater than they ever did. They were fishermen. They were just ordinary people. And fishermen shouldn't be scared of this. Well, if anyone... And yet they became great. How did that happen? Jesus taught them some discipleship lessons in the storms of life. And they were filled with the Spirit, for sure. But there was another storm that they came to understand. Jesus' storm. On the cross, Jesus went into the ultimate storm under the ultimate waves, the waves of sin and death. Jesus was thrown into the only storm that can actually sink us, the storm of eternal justice, of what we owe for our wrongdoings. That storm wasn't calmed until it swept him away. For Jesus to calm all storms, Jesus to end all evil without ending us who are evil, Jesus would have to go and be pounded by the greatest wave that ever hit our world, the wave of eternal justice. 
Jesus would have to go under. The wave would come violently crashing down on him. He'd cry out in fear, my God, my God, why have you abandoned him? And he was left alone in his storm. So he can always be with you in yours. And so he could deal with the storm of death. He died our death. He took our sin. He faced what we should have faced so we can face our eternity and we can face death without any fear. We can be people of confidence and poise. He can strengthen our faith, little faiths. If the sight of Jesus bowing his head into that ultimate storm is burned into the core of your being, you will never say, God, don't you care? If you know that he was abandoned in that great storm, so you would never be abandoned, you can trust him for the littlest storms in your life, that he's with you, that he knows what he's doing, and he'll bring you through. We may not know the reason why he allows storms to come into our lives, but we know what the reason isn't. It can't be he doesn't love us. He's proved it. It can't be he doesn't love us. We may not know why, but it can't be he doesn't love us. And one day, he'll return. And the last book of the Bible, chapter 21, has an amazing verse. Chapter 21, verse 1 of the book of Revelation. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. All the storms have been calmed. There's nothing that can threaten you. There's a world coming to us all who have faith in Christ, where there's no sea, because all that is chaos and evil and unmanageable power that is outside of our control will be fully brought. Every knee will bow. Everything in nature will bow. And we will have a world where it goes on to say, look, the dwelling place is now, look, God's dwelling place is now with the people and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He's going to calm all storms one day. He's with you in your storm. He's doing something magnificent in your life. Surrender to him. Hold on to him. Look at his cross. Allow it to be burned into the core of your being. And he'll make you someone more courageous than you ever could have imagined. Let's take a moment to be quiet. And let me pray in a moment. I'll ask the band to come back. And why don't you stand and just be quiet in the considering what kind of man Jesus is. We're then going to sing a couple of songs and then there'll be time for Q&A so you can write any questions down. But let's first respond personally before we think about responding with questions. Just take a moment to be still. If you're comfortable, just close your eyes. Consider what you've heard today about Jesus and what kind of man he is. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for your great power over all the things in this world that scare us, over sickness, over death, over demons, over uncontrollable nature, things that we cannot ultimately control. 
We thank you that they're under your control. We thank you that as we learn more about you and discover what kind of man you are, not a man made in our image, but one far greater than we could ever imagine, that our faith will be strengthened, it will be refined, that you'll help us through the storms of this life. We thank you that you went under the ultimate storm and the ultimate ways for us. Thank you that you've demonstrated your love and your power through that cross, through your resurrection. Thank you that one day you're coming back and you will calm all storms and you'll heal all hearts. You'll wipe away every tear and everything that we couldn't understand will somehow make sense and somehow bring you glory and we'll see how it did us good. I pray that this congregation would become like the disciples where we have little faith that through the storms of life we become courageous in faith risking so much for you, our reputations, our comfortable lives, our worldly aspirations, giving them up, surrendering them to you for a life of vulnerability where you are our first allegiance. And I pray now, Lord, as we sing that marvellous song, you called us out upon the waters, we'd know that sovereign hand in our life, that we'd trust you and that you would take us deeper and your spirit would help us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh,